Welcome to the Business Ease Influencer Marketing Podcast with your hosts, Jamie Lieberman and Danielle Liss. Each week, we will help you unlock the secrets of influencer marketing through interviews with leading professionals and tips and tricks to help you scale your business. Sit back, grab a coffee, and let's talk all things influencer marketing. Hey, this is Jamie. And this is Danielle. And welcome to the Business Ease Influencer Marketing Podcast, Episode 24. Today, we are very excited to bring you a very good friend of ours and someone that we have done a lot of work with, Katie Widrick. Katie is all things tech wizard, which for me is insanely exciting. But Danielle, I... um. I feel like you don't have the same feelings about technology as I do. Here are my feelings toward technology, Jamie. I know enough to be dangerous. I say this all the time. I know enough about to feel that false sense of confidence, like I can do something. And then I break it. And then I freak out. And then I go to Katie and I say, Katie, I did the thing and I broke it again. And she says, Danielle, calm down. So that's kind of like my tech stuff. And I've gotten to the point now where I've broken so many things, like one time deleting my blog, like I think it was about seven years in. So I deleted seven years worth of content. That was a good time. It was great. And yeah. (laughs) So I I think one of my favorite things about Danielle and I that are different is our excitement about new technology. So when we, we recently invested in this really cool tablet called the Remarkable Tablet, which essentially lets us handwrite all of our notes and it uploads it and has all these great things. And it was a really cool purchase. When it arrived, Danielle circled it. She looked at it. She put it to the side. She thought about it. And then I watched videos on how to use it. Yeah. She looked at the manual. There, there are manuals, read the whole thing, then opened it, then closed it, then opened it again. Mm -hmm. When I got it, literally the UPS man is handing it to me and I'm tearing it open. I don't think I ever read a manual. I'm not sure. I just turned it on and started writing things. Yeah. And that I think epitomizes <laughs> Danielle and I. It's true. I remember when I bought my new computer last year, it <laughs> sat on my desk for like a week because I didn't want to deal with it. I had a computer that was seriously like it was so like I couldn't function because it was so slow, but I was still so afraid to deal with setup of a new computer. I was like, no, I don't want to touch it. I'll just deal with the slow thing. It's fine. I, I, that, I didn't understand that. I'm actually stuttering over that as we speak. I've never let technology, I could not love technology more. I actually am looking at the new iPads, even though I really don't need an iPad, but I've convinced myself that I do need a new iPad, even though I don't, because I just want it. Last year during Prime Day, I got super excited because I think that my Kindle is going to die, right? And I've had this Kindle for years and let's just say get some heavy use. And I bought a new Kindle. So when was Prime Day? Is that July? I don't I don't remember. I think it's let's yeah. say it's July. We'll make it up if it's not. Yeah. That new Kindle is still sitting in a box. I've never opened it because I figure I'll just wait until the new or the current one dies and then I'll open it and it hasn't died. So I feel like I'm supposed to keep using it. Like it, it hasn't passed. So I don't need to retire it yet. I wish we were on video because then <laughs> you would just see my face going, what? I'm, I, my God, I don't know how you do that. I'm, All I want I'm to do, I not an early thing. adopter. Let's just put it that way. Not an early adopter. <laughs> I order everything first. I don't care if it breaks. I just want to play with the new technology. But the problem is I get really bored really fast. Mm. So I have a lot of things that don't need to be replaced, but then I replace them. (laughs) Do you have like a tech graveyard? I do. Do you have like a little drawer that's all of like your old eye things and stuff? I do. I know I am solely Mac. 
but I do, uh, I do sell stuff back to Gazelle, which is kind of cool. And I do get That's some money nice. there, but sometimes I wait too long because I'm lazy. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Gazelle's like, sorry, this would have been worth $200 if you wouldn't have been lazy, but now it's worth nothing. So oh, that's where my fine. tech graveyard comes or I give it to the kids. I am pretty sure that somewhere in a drawer downstairs, because not only do I not move to new devices, I don't ever get rid of the old ones. Because of course, obviously somebody's going to steal my identity and everything I did in like 1994. But I still have like all of my old Blackberries and things like in a drawer somewhere. Yeah. That's a, you need to take a picture of that and post it in the HQ. No. <laughs> no <we're- laughs> <laughs> These are my secret shames. No one can know. Like, the, I don't want the actual proof. Not, not, I'm not saying it to everybody, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the proof is out there now, Danielle. We need, oh, we need, no. photo- we need photographic proof. I, I think have an it old- has a pink plastic case too. Like, it's a, it's some sexy business there. I have an old iPad somewhere. Oh, I'm sorry, iPod. I meant to say that my kids look poke at every once in a while, and and they go, where this, where's the screen? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, it's good. I love it. That's awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about Katie because she is somebody who for sure is not afraid of new tech. And as I said, she's somebody who helps me a lot when I feel like I'm going to screw something up. Katie is a personal trainer and group fitness instructor, as well as the owner of Make Media Over, a consulting and managed services company for bloggers, online influencers, and small business owners. She lives in St. Petersburg, Florida with her husband and two daughters who I have told my husband been repeatedly, I would very much like my son to marry one of those adorable Widrick girls. And when she's not training for triathlons, she's probably binge watching The West Wing or Scandal. Let's jump into our interview with Katie after a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Hashtag Legal. Hashtag Legal is a full-service law firm specializing in influencer marketing, social media, and service professionals. We offer a wide range of services, contract review and drafting, trademark and copyright registration and monitoring, FTC advice and disclosures, and full site reviews, including drafting site terms and conditions and privacy policies. Check us out at www.hashtag-legal.com. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the show. We are so excited to have you here. Let's kind of start, I don't want to say at the beginning because my God, can be, <laughs> who knows where you want to take that, but you've had an amazing evolution in your influencer career. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in the online space? I can, although you and your audience are going to have to understand from the beginning that I fully embrace the fact being a self-made influencer. Um, I have always been really curious to see how things work. I have always been willing to put myself out there and try new things, even if they don't work out. And I think at the end of the day, you'll probably hear through our conversation, the theme and the thread for me has always been, how can I help someone else do this and have more fun, make it easier? I actually, my my background is not in online media because online media wasn't really a thing when I was just getting started with my career. I uh, went to school for broadcast journalism and policy studies, and I thought that I was either going to come out and be CJ Craig from the West Wing and be a press secretary talking about policy and working in DC as kind of a power broker, 
or I was going to be on television myself. And neither of those things happened. But I sort of think that where I ended up as an influencer is a hybrid of, of both of those roles. So I studied broadcast journalism and very quickly realized that I did not have either the talent nor the drive to be an on-air personality. I really found, and this is maybe the inner control freak in me, um, but I really found that I I thrived in writing stories, in being in charge of the way that a newscast or a television program would flow, deciding what order the stories aired in, who got assigned to read them, what happened if all of a sudden there was breaking news. I still, to this day, really like being the go-to person when things break. It has become less and less about what happens in a newsroom, obviously, and more and more about what happens in my own influencer space and when I'm working with clients who are influencers. You know, in the last 20 years, I've really gone from broadcast media to online media. And in many ways, it has been kind of a seamless transition because it's still all about telling a story. It's all about communicating something with your audience, whatever audience that is, and, you know, trying to find a way to make it your business, but still your passion. So, so everyone knows I had the pleasure of working with Katie when I was at the network. And I've mentioned this before, but I may have had secret favorites when I was there. And Katie was one of my favorite people to work with because she was an absolute professional when it came to working on campaigns and doing sponsored content. So Katie was always one of my go-to people because we knew we would have such a good experience and she would produce great content for our sponsors. Katie, can you tell us a little bit about what you did with your blog and then kind of how you transitioned that into Make Media Over? Absolutely. And you're so sweet to say that because I really think that if I were to kind of write my own legacy or write what I hoped people would say about me, it would be what you just said that you know, I was professional, I had fun, I made other people's jobs and lives easier. And, you know, just brought a lot of joy to to what I was doing. When I got out of a newsroom in 2004, 2007, in that area, I was really transitioning my career from daily and nightly television news to more of a kind of an online presence. Funny enough, I was working in the newsroom when I started to hear about this thing called a blog. <laughs> Didn't know exactly what it was, but heard a lot of buzz around this term. And when I was still working in a local television newsroom, I approached my bosses and I said, you know, we're doing three hours of television news in the morning. It would be really fun if we shared some of the behind the scenes photos and some of the stories about what we do in the breaks and what it really takes to put a newscast on. And luckily my bosses, I, I don't know that they were supportive so much as they said, you know, can you do it on your own time? Do I, can I, can you do it without us having to pay you more? And can you do it without it taking away from your job? And I said, yes, yes, and yes. And so we launched a blog, the first one in our television station's history. And it was really fun. It was very rudimentary, but I really very quickly found that I liked the idea of taking some of these behind the scenes, more candid moments and sharing them with our audience. In this case, this was a group of viewers who really only kind of saw the polished, you know, full hair and makeup side of talent, the reading from a script. And we had a lot of fun showing that we were kind of fun, cool people. We were news junkies, but we also listened to music in the breaks. And my boss would come in and make pancake breakfast for us on Fridays. So we shared all of that. And that blog didn't 
really take off. Uh, funny enough, you know, more and more newsrooms get all of their viewers online and from blogs and less and less on actual broadcast TV. But that was not the case in, in the mid 2000s. Um, so I made the personal decision in 2007 to leave the newsroom and I moved over to a wonderful startup. I still work with them today. Um, and we started producing kind of feel good storytelling. You know, we started doing video stories, radio stories. Uh, it became more digital stories over time, really shining the spotlight on people that were making a positive difference in the world instead of the crime and grime that I had really gotten burned out on in television news. But because we were such a small startup, nobody really knew how to do any of it. And we were all wearing many, many hats. My team and I, and I still, again, work with a wonderful team at this company. We just kind of went out and said, we have great stories and we want to figure out how to use social media and online marketing to get it to as many people as possible. And at the same time, I thought, well, while I'm doing that over here for the professional side, you know, I've always really wanted to talk about some of the stuff that I did not feel comfortable talking about when I was in a newsroom. I wanted to talk about policy and politics and go back to my roots. I wanted to talk about health and fitness and the journey I was on to get healthier and to start running and to eventually become a personal trainer. And so I started my own blog. It was on a terrible platform. It had a terrible name and it had terrible graphics, but it was storytelling. And I think to this day, even though I now run a business where I create websites and social media plans and execute strategy for people, it still to me comes down to people that have good stories stories to tell and just need help in in leveraging that. I love that so much. And I think that's been a really common theme whenever we talk to people about sponsored content, that aspect of story always comes up. And I always joke that I'm I like to tell stories. I just like to talk. I think that it really it comes through on some of the best content that those people really aren't just cutting and pasting that they're telling a story. So I'm glad that you talked about that. I really want to talk to you about some of the more technical side of things. And I've said on the podcast a few times, and you know this very well about me personally, that I kind of have a phobia of the tech side of things. I always joke that I know just enough to be dangerous, you know, enough to think that I know what I'm doing, but not enough to actually know how to fix what I break. Do you think this attitude is common in the influencer space? I think it's incredibly common. I think it's you know, it's deserved. Tech is scary. I think some of that is certainly because in the early days of blogging, you really did have to be a developer. And it was like writing in a different language. It was writing code. It was understanding how to create the actual backend files that would power a website. That's really changed as we're talking here in 2018. And the programs that you know, are required to start websites are extremely user friendly, are really designed with the user in mind. And I think developers have understand, uh, started to understand that they can't create a lot of proprietary work anymore. They have to create tools that empower and educate and again, make it easy and fun because so many people are looking to create blogs and there's a lot of competition just in the software space. So I think it's incredibly common. It Frankly, it's the reason that I started Make Media Over. It distresses me to go back to that whole storytelling aspect. I would hear from friends and family members who would say, you know, I really want to start a blog. I have this great story or I have a product or I just want to get, you know, share videos, but I, I'm just too scared to start it. And it always really upset me to think these are people that have a story to share. They have really valuable or entertaining or informative content. And, but, but for this technology hurdle, you know, they, they are not sharing it. I think 
what I learned, and again, I don't have any background in development. I don't have any background in design. I'm totally self-taught. And so my instincts over the years has always been to say, you know, I get that. I did it. I broke it. I did it badly. And then I tried it again. And here's what you can learn, you know, come join me at this end stage. And so the way that sort of manifests in my business and in my blog is that if I am looking at a bunch of plugins, and we can talk about that term, because I know jargon can be really scary too. But if I'm looking at a plugin for a website, you know, I, I might look at 10 of them. And at the end of the day, I want to say, this is the one that I think you should use. And here's a step by step you know, tutorial on setting it up. And that's really at the core of my business is taking this tech, figuring out with people what is the best fit for them without overwhelming them with a lot of options, keeping things in mind, like how budget conscious do we have to be? How familiar or comfortable are you with tech? Do you need something that is totally turnkey? And then let's get it set up for you. I don't ever, ever, ever want someone to not follow through with something they're passionate about because they're scared of tech. That's such good advice. And you mentioned plugins and sort of that back end area of the site, which is the place that I'm most likely to break, usually because I hit a button and I'm like, oh, look, my site's gone. How did that happen? So what back end pieces of a site do you think every influencer should get experience with or at least familiarize themselves with? So I tend to fall back on WordPress and using WordPress terms more and more the influencers that I work with and the clients that I work with are looking at alternative platforms like Squarespace or Wix. And those are really totally designed for what you just shared. They are meant to be drag and drop, much more user-friendly, not worrying about code, but really just like pulling things over in the order that they want them to appear. But even on the WordPress side, I think there are a few things that you should absolutely keep in mind. Number one, just getting a basic concept of the dashboard. There are going to be words like plugins. A plugin is really just a fancy term for a shortcut, or I always compare it when I'm working with a new client. I compare it to an app on your phone. If you want to have a button on your blog post that makes it easy to share to Facebook or Twitter or Pinterest, there's a plugin that will add those buttons. If you want to have a way for people to subscribe to your new post so that they come in their email inbox, there's a plugin. It's really all of these tools that are on the marketplace. Many slash most of them are free through WordPress and you install them on your website and it really connects your website with the other tools and the other integrations that you need. So just understanding how plugins work, what they can do, where to find good ones, what happens if you do click a button and it breaks, how to fix it. All of that I think is really important. And maybe the first thing I should have mentioned is, and you know I am really, really <laughs> bullish on this for every website owner, it's understanding backups and security and not feeling like you, again, have to stress out about it, just knowing that your content is safe and secure in the event of an emergency. I shared with my own audience that I actually had an international hacker break into my website files. I had five websites stored on one account and they not only deleted all of my files, but they <laughs> redirected all of my URLs to an overseas e-commerce shop. And that could have been absolutely devastating. It could have been 10 years of blogging down the drain, not just my work, but a, fr a family member who was on my account. I could have lost everything. Luckily, my sites were backed up. I pay a very nominal fee to have that happen. The backups are safe and secure. And I was able to click a button and have everything restored. But I can't tell you the number of clients that I work with or influencers who come to me very upset who either 
either don't have a backup at all and do lose content or have a backup and don't know how to use it. So I think the backups, you know, if you have a safe backup, then you shouldn't be afraid to hit update on a plugin. You shouldn't be afraid to get in and play around with customizing the colors of your website or the code. Worst case scenario, you break it and then you fix it. And the backup ensures that that's the case. And then I think the maybe the last thing that I would encourage people to do, no matter what level of tech, you know, they have, what, whatever level of experience or, or comfort they have, is just to understand, again, the basics of their dashboard. In WordPress, for example, you can customize what appears. If there are elements of an, a post-edit screen that you don't want or that you don't use or that are confusing, you uncheck them so they don't appear. And uh, uh, this always feels like a mind-blowing thing, especially for longtime users of WordPress, but there's a screen options tool right in your dashboard and you can remove the things that you don't need and want. So if you find that the only tools that you need when you're creating a new post are the actual edit screen for where you type the text, the categories so that you know where it's actually going to on your website and maybe one other section, then that's all you need to see. And the rest of it is just going to be in your way, in your headspace. It's going to stress you out and there's no need for it. That is all such good advice. I remember when you had the issue with the hacker that made me go in and say, okay, I can at least make sure that I've got backups in case I do break everything. So I think that that's really, really good advice. Are there any other tools that you think are underutilized by influencers? Absolutely. And again, these tools are are pretty platform agnostic. So if you are on WordPress, if you are on Squarespace, we, you know, this is limited to blogs. If you're an influencer who doesn't have a website, frankly, we should chat because I think even those who are primarily on a social platform really do need an online home. But having said that, a few tools that are either not utilized or drastically underutilized by a lot of people that I speak with are Google Analytics. That's a tool, it's a free tool from Google that helps you understand where your traffic is coming from, what they're doing when they're on your website, what they do after they get to your website. You know, Are they sticking around? Are they reading lots of posts? So Google Analytics, is phenomenal and it's the gold standard of measuring traffic and some bloggers will either install it and never look or don't even install it from the beginning. And the other three that I'll kind of rapid fire throw at you and we can go into more detail as you'd like, but Google Search Console is another free tool. It's really critical because it shows you data all about search engine optimization and how people are finding you when they are typing keywords and questions into Google. I think email marketing is something, especially in 2018, every single website owner and influencer needs to embrace email marketing in some form or fashion. And then the last one is fairly new on the list, but especially with Facebook changing its algorithm seemingly every week and making it more and more difficult for us to get our content seen by people, I really think Facebook advertising is going to be critical for influencers in all verticals, and at all levels of their business. I love those tools. Let's talk a little bit about SEO because I think that one tends to be particularly daunting. And especially, I honestly don't think I knew anything about Google Search Console until I heard you speak at a conference. We had been friends for a while and I didn't know anything about it. So what are your tips for using the console and just any other SEO tips that you have? Let me just say from the outset, the thing that you have to understand about Google is that it's not nearly as scary as you would think it is. At the at the core of search is Google is trying to match people who have questions with the people that have the answers. And if you embrace that as an influencer 
and as a publisher, it's you don't need to stress about keyword research. You don't need to stress about these things that you hear like meta tags and meta descriptions. They are important and they are the little micro tweaks that you can do to get higher in the ranking and to get more visibility. But I'm telling you right now, if you forget all of that jargon, if you never listen to another guru or ninja or whatever term that we're using now, and you just write good content that answers questions that people are actually asking, you will win the SEO game. So that's full stop. If there's if people turn off the podcast now and never hear another SEO tip, I just want them to know that. But hopefully they stuck around because I've got some more tips for you. <laughs> um, I, again, I think 90% of the game is, in fact, answering questions that people already have. You can optimize the heck out of a post. And if people don't care about it and they're not asking it and they're not searching for it, it doesn't matter. So answer common questions. See what people in your niche are actually talking about. Keyword research, again, does not have to be as complicated or scary as you might think. One of the tips that I like to share with my clients and that I've posted about on my blog is I actually use things like Pinterest as a keyword research tool if I feel like I want to talk about a recipe or a, you know, uh, maybe I want to talk about a workout, I'll use Pinterest as a user and try to see what it auto suggests. That auto suggestion is directly from Pinterest algorithm. And it's an indication that a lot of people are searching for it. So I'll just use that exact phrase. And a lot of times, even if I don't know what I'm going to post about, that will generate some ideas for me that are on topic. They're, you know, they totally fit my brand. I'm interested in writing about them. And it just kind of gives me a jump start. I use that same trick on Google. You can use the auto suggest feature of Google. You can look at Google trends. There are lots of little user-friendly ways that aren't nearly as scary as using a quote unquote keyword research tool. But back to Google search console, I think the biggest things that people need to understand is that it's a another free Google service. You have to verify that you are the website owner, which is incredibly easy to do. But once you do that, you get a wealth of information. Number one, you'll find out if there are any problems with your website. So if you are a food blogger and you use a recipe card plugin, there's data in that plugin that tells Google, hey, this line of the post is an ingredient and this line indicates the cook time. Well, all of those things really help Google put your content in front of people. So so if someone is searching for a 30 minute pasta dish, it's that information that you have put into the recipe card that helps Google understand that you've got a post that solves that problem and makes it more likely that you will appear. But if there's a problem with what you've put in, Google Search Console is where you'll find that. So when I do SEO audits with clients, I inevitably find that there are a handful of recipes that are missing images. That's a critical issue for Google. And if they see that the Im if Google notices that the image is missing, it's much less likely to return your delicious recipe to people that are searching for it. It's an incredibly easy fix, but we overlook that. And Google Search Console will flag missing images, missing descriptions. It will kind of notify you, hey, this post is good, but it could be better. And that alone is in the rich card data of Google Search Console, which again, sounds more jargony than it is. It's a tab that literally lists the links on your website that have issues. You fix them, and the next time Google looks at your website, it gives you a better shot of, of being visible in the results. The other thing that uh, people overlook on Google Search Console is you get search analytics. So the, the key to SEO is trying to get people who are doing searches on Google to actually click 
click through to your website. But that means that there are a couple of steps in there. So number one, you want to be visible. You want to get a search impression. So if I were to type in, uh, you know, awesome lawyers, I would really want Danielle's website to pop Thank up. Thank you. Or if I were to type in influencer <laughs> marketing podcast or anything along those lines, you know, the goal obviously is to get Danielle's website to appear. So the impression is always a really great sign that you have optimized your post or your website well. It means that people were searching for something, you have it on your website, and you got that impression. The impression is really not nearly as important as the click because you don't just want to be seen. You want people to actually go to your website. So if a, if someone types in influencer marketing and Danielle's website appears along with nine others, we need to try to get that click to Danielle. So the Google Search Console will show you not only how many impressions you got, but how many clicks and what was the click-through rate. And it shows you over the last 90 days, so you can watch for patterns and trends. You can see if all of a sudden a lot of people are finding you because of a particular topic or a trending recipe or anything like that. And you can diagnose issues. So if you see that you're getting a lot of impressions for influencer marketing podcasts, but not a lot of clicks, it's usually something as simple as going into that post or that page or the category and optimizing it. And I know that idea of optimizing generally is scary to people. So we can talk about some of that if you think that we're ready to keep diving into SEO. Well, one thing that I'd really like to ask you about is you mentioned doing SEO audits. And I assume that this is also where somebody can, what they can do to start that optimization process. What do you recommend in terms of steps for somebody who wants to start doing an SEO audit for their site? I have a whole checklist that I would be happy to share with your listeners. And it takes, it's literally a copy of what I do with my clients when I'm doing an audit. So I really do want to empower people to do this on their own. I think number one, just making sure that everything is in fact set up. Is your Google Analytics tag installed and only installed once? Is your Google Search Console property verified and is it collecting data? There are a couple of really important steps in that process. And if you don't have it set up correctly, then the rest of it doesn't really matter. But beyond that, I think the, the biggest thing that people can look at is what's called the SEO titles and the SEO meta descriptions. And so what really surprises a lot of people is that the title and the, the snippet, if you will, the description that appears. So if I were to search influencer marketing, 10 results pop up on the page, there's a title with a link, and then there's a short description. That's called the SEO title and the SEO meta description. That those two elements can be different for search than they can be on your website or even on social media. And that's usually controlled, again, by a plugin. If you're on the WordPress side, my preferred SEO plugin is called Yoast SEO. But Squarespace, Wix, a lot of these programs actually have SEO built right in. So whatever platform, whatever program you're on, just look for SEO title and SEO meta description. And you can edit that to try to get people to click through more often. So in terms of the audit, I really encourage people to look at the very basics. Does my homepage have a good, strong title tag? Does my homepage have a good, strong description so that as people are searching for me or my website name or my brand, are they actually going to click through because they find that what they saw on the Google search page results? Is that compelling? Is it interesting? Does it get them to want to see more? And then again, on every single post, you have the opportunity to do that as well. And many people either don't use SEO titles or descriptions at all, or don't use them in a way that is compelling for people to click through. If your audit started and stopped with fixing your analytics tag, checking your Google search console, and looking at your SEO titles and meta descriptions, I think you would be 
light years ahead of other influencers and other bloggers. The rest of the stuff is really just small nudges. And again, I think the SEO audit that I would encourage people to do beyond actually checking the health of their their website is, does my editorial calendar include enough of the content that people are actively looking for? And am I answering those questions and answering their, you know, their pain points in a way that is going to not only have them coming back for more, but having them share my work with others? I love those tips so much. I want to kind of go right now and do all of them and just make sure, but I know that I'll get confused and I'll just ask Katie. Um, So I definitely am going to take a look at the checklist and we will make sure we've got a link to that in the show notes so that everybody can grab that. Before we wrap up, I want to make sure everyone knows about the services that you offer at Make Media Over. So if these things are still sounding a little bit daunting and that's just, it doesn't make sense to you, you want some help with that, we definitely want to make sure that you know what Katie can help you with. So can you tell us a little bit there? Absolutely. And and thanks again for the opportunity to share it. I am so passionate about working with people and my services include everything from uh, monthly mentoring and coaching so that you know that you have somebody that you can trust to pick their brain ask me anything. If you have a question about technology, if you're not sure how to make a media kit, if you don't understand how to start a blog, my monthly program, I think, and I hope really alleviates that and gives you a great person and a great, you know, kind of a backstop. Like, you know, that you have somebody to talk to. So that's one of the most popular programs and services that I offer, but I do also offer SEO audits, website audits. I create websites. I create social media strategy. I think outside of the actual deliverables and the services that I have, if you have questions and you want to work with someone who has been in your shoes, who knows how scary this can be and is ready to be a shoulder to cry on, a hand to hold, and someone, again, just to go to with any questions, I would love to connect with you. I am a big believer that a rising tide lifts all boats. And that is something I say probably once a week, either to clients or to myself. So I'm not in the business of pushing myself or my services on anyone. I really do think of myself as a matchmaker. And it's probably not great business strategy, but if you reach out to me and you tell me what you need help with, if I can help and empower you to do it on your own by pointing you in the direction of a tutorial or connecting you with another service provider, or even just kind of giving you some quick tips by email, that's always going to be my instinct. So I really hope your listeners do reach out. I would love to say hi. I would love to connect with you. I'm a big fan as an, even though I'm an influencer myself, I just love seeing what others are doing in the space. Um, So reach out and we'll see if there's something that's a good fit. And I can't give Katie enough of an endorsement. I have worked with her in the business. I've worked with her on a personal level. And I just think that everything she offers is amazing. And she is just one of the best forces out there in the influencer space because she really does believe in that community and collaboration. So an endorsement here from me as well. We will put, we will make sure we have all of her links in the show notes so you can find her. Um, so Katie, before we let you go, will you answer our rapid fire questions that we ask all of our guests? I'm so excited about this. Yes. <laughs> okay. Question number one, coffee or tea? Coffee, more coffee and coffee on top of that. <laughs> number two, what's your favorite book? It can be business or not business. Okay. So you talked me up and you made me sound all professional and I don't want this to take away from that, but I am a normal Robert's junkie. I don't care. It's bad romance. It's bad crime. I love it. I would read Nora Roberts every day if I could. Um, if it was business related, I'm, I really, really love you are a badass at making money by Jen 
Zero, which, by the way, was recommended to me by Danielle Liss. So <laughs> that that on the professional side is one that I go back to over and over. I love all of those things. I like Nora Roberts. And whenever people ask me for recommendations, I'm always like, have you read The Bride Trilogy by Nora Roberts? Because it's a really good one or The Quartet, whatever it was. So I'm there with you when it comes to Ms. Roberts. Question number three, what's the first thing you did to celebrate success in your business? What did you do for yourself? You mean after I poured myself a glass of champagne when I had my first consult booked for $25 an hour? Um, The first thing that I did to really celebrate a big business success was um, investing in a developer package of website themes. I knew that I wanted to go from making my hobby, you know, I wanted to make my hobby a jobby, I guess. And I knew that I needed the tools to really be professional. And I spent, at the time, it was a significant amount of money for me. And I bought a package of developer tools and then used them to start building websites for other people. Amazing. Okay, question four. Do you have a word for the year? If so, what is it? I have words, plural. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so 2018, I love that a lot of people around me are talking about abundance and growth. and, And I am so supportive of that. My clients are all in the abundance and growth stage. I am reminding myself this year that I do not need to let someone else's chaos make me crazy. And that comes from being an entrepreneur, comes from being a business owner and really trying to set better boundaries. I don't believe fully in a work-life balance, Danielle, and I know that's kind of a provocative statement, but I do believe that I get to decide what drags me off my task and what, you know, keeps my focus. So don't let other people's chaos make me crazy. I love that so much. And I just want to put it onto a decal and stick it on my computer. That's good stuff. Okay. This is sometimes a more controversial question than we expect. Apple or PC? Apple. I'm Apple. I'm Apple. I'm looking at five Apple devices in my space right now. My husband is still a PC person. So as the IT and tech support person in my family, I have to stay up to date on that. But I am all Apple all the time. Awesome. Now, very last question. Not really a question, more of a statement or a request. Can you tell everyone where they can find you? Absolutely. So I am very active on social media. Uh, funny enough, you know, being an influencer. I am on Instagram at kwidrick, which is my first initial and last name. I'm kwidrick on most of the social platforms. And then my website is makemediaover.com. And I've got a bunch of free resources and hopefully some tools that will get people started if they are growing as an influencer or if they're interested in becoming an influencer. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a pleasure. It was such a joy to me. And thanks for everybody for letting me nerd out a little bit on Google Analytics analytics and SEO. And hopefully I've not scared you off it and just encourage you to go get out there and be amazing people. So do you feel better about tech now, Danielle? No, I feel better about delegating tech. That's honestly, (laughs) that's what that leads to. As soon as somebody starts talking about like the search console and setting things up, I say, you know what? This is not my zone of genius. And it is better for me to give this to someone who isn't afraid of it and likes it. Do you know what I took from that interview? What? I feel really psyched that we hired Katie. Because <laughs> <laughs> as much as I like tech, I don't like it that much. <laughs> exactly. Well, we would love to hear from you in the HQ. If you are an early adopter like Jamie is, or if you are a little more like me and you'll stare at the box for 
a week before opening it because you just have to get used to the idea first that you have to say goodbye to your alt tech. If you're not a member of the HQ, you can join us at businessease.com slash HQ. And for show notes, go to businessease.com slash episode 24. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Business Ease Influencer Marketing Podcast. Please subscribe if you haven't already. If you like the podcast, we'd love if you give us a review in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your reviews help new listeners find us. If you have any questions, you can email us at questions at businessease.com. We'd really love to hang out with you in our Facebook group, the Business Ease HQ. To join, visit businessease.com slash HQ. We want to give a big thank you to our producer, Don Jackson of the Raven Media Group for making us sound so very good. Thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you again next week. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.